Good morning and welcome to Christ Central. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Whether you're joining us in person or online virtually, thank you for spending Sunday morning with us as we worship together. Well, we're currently in a sermon series called Following Jesus Through the Book of Luke. And the goal of this series has been to follow Jesus around as he moves through the book of Luke. And we've been paying attention to the things that he did and to the things that he said. And as we watch Jesus' actions and as we listen to his teaching, our hope has been uh, to, to, to find Jesus compelling and captivating and that we as followers of Jesus would be more certain of the things that we believe, that Jesus really is the Son of God and the promised Messiah and the Savior of the world. And even though following Jesus is not easy, it is worth it. And may we all be able to confess from our hearts and with all sincerity that I would rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. The title of today's sermon is The Parable of the Pharisee and the Tax Collector. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. And we're going to read from verse 9 to 14. And today we're going to listen to Jesus again as we listen to him teach one of his well-known parables about the Pharisee and the tax collector. People of God, this is the word of God. Would you please give it your careful attention? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Here's the outline for today's sermon. First, the audience of the parable. Second, the contrast in the parable. And third, the lesson of the parable. In verse 9, Jesus told us who this parable was for, who his audience was. He said, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus told this parable for those who were proud and self-righteous and who looked down on other people. This parable is told for, uh, for people who trusted in their good works and in their religious activity and who believed that they were more righteous than others and who looked down on others. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, well, this parable doesn't apply to me, Pastor. You see, I know that I'm not very religious and I don't look down on others for their lack of religious commitment this parable is for those churchy people who think they're holier than, holier than everyone else. I know I'm not very religious. I know I'm not very holy. And I don't judge others for not being holy or religious to you. This parable doesn't apply to me. Well, hold on just for a minute uh, before you tune out. 
So yes, this parable is for people who think they're righteous because they're faithfully uh, fulfilling all their Christian duties, like going to church regularly, uh, serving in different ministries, attending prayer meetings, giving their tithes and offerings, and not committing overt sins like adultery and stealing. There are proud and self-righteous people in the church who do look down on others, and this parable is most certainly for them. But this parable is not only for them. This parable is for anyone who looks down on anyone else for any reason. And that means that this parable is for all of us because we all look down on people, don't we? The truth is, we're all proud and self-righteous, and we treat certain people with contempt, or at least we think about them with contempt. Now, it may not be a religious, churchy standard, but we all have some standard, that we try to live up to, and we judge those, and we look down on those who don't live up to the same standards that we're trying to live up to. So let me ask you, who do you look down on? Maybe you're a student, and you look down on other students who don't study hard, who don't take school seriously, and don't seem to be serious about their future. Or maybe you look down on the students who study too hard, who take school too seriously, and don't seem to know how to relax, have fun, and enjoy life in the present. Or maybe you look down on church people who seem too loose. They don't take sin seriously enough. They don't take God's holiness seriously enough. And you think that they're being bad witnesses for Jesus because they don't take their faith seriously. They're always drinking and smoking and being so worldly. They never take anything seriously. And they make following Jesus look like a joke. Or maybe you look down on those church people who seem too legalistic too judgmental of others, and who don't seem to take God's grace seriously enough. And you think that they're being bad witnesses for Jesus because they don't have enough joy in their life. They're always so strict and serious. They're always so mad about something. And they make following Jesus look like a chore. Or maybe you look down on people who don't work hard at their jobs, who take vacations that they can't afford, and who make irresponsible financial decisions that negatively impact their family. Or maybe you look down on people who work too hard, who are so responsible and so tight with their money that they don't know how to enjoy life and be generous with others. Or maybe you look down on those progressive types who make everything about racial injustice and systemic racism and who are foolishly embracing the woke ideology of the liberal culture. Or maybe you look down on the uh, conservative types who refuse to see the reality and pain of racial injustice and who accuse you of being a liberal or a cultural Marxist because you care about justice when you care about justice because the Bible tells you that, the, that God cares about justice. You see, you all, we all look down on someone, don't we? So who do you look down on? And if you're honest, you can confess right now that there are people that you look down on. I do it, you do it, we all do it. You may not be religious, but you are self-righteous. And when you think you're right, you look down on those who you think are foolishly wrong. So whether you're religious or just self-righteous, we all look down on people. And that means that this parable is for us, for anyone who looks down on other people. So the audience of this parable is for self-righteous people, people who look down on others. And that means it's for us. It's for you and for me. Second, let's consider the contrast in the parable. 
Jesus began this parable by introducing two characters, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And they could not be any more different. They were on polar, extreme, opposite ends in Jewish society. The Pharisee was respected and praised, while the tax collector was despised and denounced. So these two men go up to the temple to pray, but only one prays. See, one went up to brag about himself, while the other went up to beg God for mercy. First, let's consider the Pharisee and his prayer. Now, the Pharisee stood by himself to pray. He probably stood away from others closer to the altar. And by separating himself from the other people in the room, he was visually communicating, I'm not like them. I'm better than them. The Pharisee mentioned God, but he did not pray to God. He said he thanked God, but instead of focusing on God's character, whose character does he focus on? His own. And instead of recounting all the things that God had done for him, what does he recount? He recounts all the things that he does for God. He was completely self-absorbed. As one Bible commentator said, after his initial nod to God, his was essentially a self-congratulatory monologue disguised as prayer. And in his so-called prayer, this Pharisee boasts, doesn't he? And he boasts about two things. First, he boasts about himself. And second, he boasts about what he did for God. First, he boasted about himself by comparing himself to others in a favorable way, to others who he thought were inferior to him, to people who thought he thought uh, he was, uh, that they were worse than him. He thanked God that he was not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector who was in the temple with him. You see, he looked at others, looked down on them, and then he boasted that he was not like them. He glanced over at the tax collector and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. He's terrible. He oppresses people. He steals from our own people. People hate him. Thank you that I'm not anything like him. Now, the Pharisee may not have been oppressive, unjust, adulterous, or traitorous, but he was proud, wasn't he? Very proud. And pride is as despicable a sin in God's eyes as any other sin. Second, he boasted about what he did for God. He boasted about his religious activities. First, he boasted about how much he fasted. Now, the Old Testament law required that faithful Jews fast just one time a year on the Day of Atonement. But this Jew, this Pharisee, he fasts not one time a year. He fasts twice a week, usually on a Monday or Thursday. You see, his fasting was above and beyond required fasting for God's people, which, of course, in his eyes, made him more mature, more righteous, more spiritual, and more holy. Second, he also boasted about how much he tithed. Old Testament law required tithes only on certain things. For example, like the firstlings of the flock, grain, wine, and oil. But this Pharisee gave a tithe on everything, including his herbs and his vegetables and everything else from which God did not require a tithe. So just like his fasting, his tithing went above and beyond what was required by God, which, of course, made him more righteous, more spiritual, 
and more holy than others. You see, this Pharisee believed that he was deserving of God's favor because of his above and beyond religious activity, which made him believe that he was better than others, which gave him permission to look down on others. This Pharisee was boastful. We can see it. But he isn't the only one who boasts. You see, we all boast too. Now, we may not boast out loud with words, but we boast in our minds, don't we? So in what ways do you boast about yourself? Do you boast that you're not like those other Christians who abuse God's grace and who don't take God's holiness seriously? Or do you boast that you're not like those other Christians who are too legalistic and who don't, who don't know how to enjoy their Christian liberties? Or do you boast that you're not like those people who are irresponsible with their money and who get into debt? Or do you boast that you're not like those people who are so frugal who don't know how to have a, a good time? Or do you boast that you're not like those loose parents who never discipline their kids and who let their kids run wild? Or do you boast that you're not like those strict parents who are always yelling at their kids and who are always trying to control their kids with anger and fear? Or do you boast that you're not like those woke progressives who are trying to ruin America and our religious freedoms with their liberal politics? Or do you boast that you're not like those heartless conservatives who deny racial and systemic racism and they only seem to be concerned about preserving and protecting their own privileges? And in what ways do you boast about what you do? Do you boast about how much you serve at church, how faithful you are with your spiritual disciplines, how much you pray, how much you fast, and how much you study your Bible? Or do you boast about how you're living out your faith in the workplace and you spend more time with non-believers for evangelistic purposes and not like those Christians who are always just with other Christians? Do you boast about how hard you work for your family and how much you sacrifice for your family? Or do you boast that you spend time with your family even if you have to sacrifice your work because your family comes first? Or do you boast that you're being true to God's word and that you'll never cave to the pressures of the liberal culture? Or do you boast that you care about racial injustice and you're going to care about that even if they call you a cultural Marxist? You know, if we pause long enough, if we reflect long enough, then we will realize that this Pharisee is a mirror for us. The truth is that we're all proud, we're all self-righteous in our own way, and we boast in our own ways. We may not boast about the same things, but we all boast, don't we? And we all look down on someone else. This Pharisee is just like us. Or better, we are just like this Pharisee. Next, let's consider the tax collector and his prayer. The tax collector was a complete contrast to the Pharisee. He stood afar off, it says, away from the altar, probably at the very edge of the court, barely in the room. Barely in the room. He felt so unworthy, so guilty, and so ashamed that he couldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. And so he hung his head in shame, and he beat his chest with sorrow and regret. Unlike the Pharisee, this tax collector knows that he has nothing to boast about. He knows who he is. He knows what he's done. 
You see, everyone hated tax collectors. They were the scum of Jewish society. They were collaborators who betrayed their country, and they worked for the enemy, for the hated Roman Empire. And they worked for the Romans by collecting their taxes for them from their people. And they abused their power to collect more taxes than was required, and then they kept the extra money for themselves. You see, tax collectors weren't just traitors. There were also oppressors who oppressed their own people. I think Jews felt about Jewish tax collectors what Koreans felt about those traitorous Korean middlemen who sold Korean women as comfort women to the Japanese army. Did you know that it was local Korean middlemen who procured Korean women as sex slaves for the Japanese military by recruiting them with false promises of work in factories and in restaurants. And once they were recruited, they were enslaved and forced to work as sex slaves or as comfort women for Japanese soldiers in so-called comfort stations. And as you can imagine, those Korean middlemen who got wealthy by doing this despicable thing were hated and despised by other Koreans. That's what tax collectors were like. They worked for the enemy by oppressing their own people. So this tax collector, realizing what he has done, realizing his guilt, his sin, and his shame for his betrayal and his oppression of his own people, prayed very differently than this Pharisee. There is no comparing himself to others to make himself feel better because he knew that he was the worst of the worst. And there was no boasting in what he had done. There was only shame and regret for the injustices that he had committed against his own people. There was no pride and no self-confidence whatsoever. And so he simply and humbly prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, the sinner. Now, the verb be merciful means in the Greek, be propitiated or let your anger be removed. You see, this tax collector understood that he deserved God's anger. And so the tax collector asked God to show him mercy by removing his anger. In essence, this is what the tax collector prayed. God, I know what I deserve for what I've done. For who I am is your anger. I know I deserve it. But would you show me mercy by removing your anger? I know I deserve it, but would you remove it? Would you be merciful to me? Unlike the Pharisee, he had nothing to boast about before God. He could offer God not even one good reason for God to save him. So he humbly threw himself at the mercy of God. You see, while the Pharisee went up to the temple to brag about himself, the tax collector went up to beg God for mercy he didn't deserve. So we see the contrast between the Pharisee and the tax collector. Next, let's consider the lesson of this parable. Now, if you were to ask Jesus' original listeners, so which of these two men were saved by God? They would have thought that was such a dumb question. Ridiculous question. Of course, it's the good and faithful Pharisee who's saved, not that 
unjust, collaborating tax collector who oppresses his own people. And so what Jesus said in verse 14 would have shocked and offended his listeners. Because Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, he went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus said that it was the tax collector who went home justified, who went home saved, who went home with his sins forgiven, not the Pharisee. How can God do this? How can God not save a good and faithful Pharisee who's been good his whole life? Even worse, how can God save someone like this tax collector? The traitor, the oppressor. This doesn't make any sense, and it should bother us. Friends, this is the scandal of the gospel. This is the stumbling block of the gospel. You see, the gospel does not say that good people are in and bad people are out, but rather it says the humble are in no matter how bad they are and the proud are out no matter how good they are. Let me say that again. The gospel says it's the humble who are in no matter how bad they are and the proud who are out no matter how good they may be. Jesus said that the tax collector, despite all the injustice and oppression he committed against his own people, it was a tax collector who went home justified, who had the anger of God removed from him. Why? Because he humbled himself before God and asked God for mercy. You see, the truth is, both the Pharisee and the tax collector had the anger of God hanging over them but only one of them realized it. The tax collector knew it, and so he asked God for mercy, and he went home with the anger of God removed. But the Pharisee went home with the anger of God still hanging over him. He didn't even know it because he thought he deserved God's favor, not his anger. The Bible says that the anger of God hangs over all of our heads, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that includes you. No matter how religious or how respectable or how successful you think you may be, the Bible says that the wages of sin is eternal death and that we all deserve death and condemnation for our sins. And so here's the lesson of this parable. If we humble ourselves before God, and if we ask God to be merciful to us by removing his anger from us, he will. He will. And the reason why God is willing and able to remove his holy anger from us is because he poured it out on another. He poured it out on his son, Jesus you see, on the cross, Jesus received the anger of God that we deserve for our sins so that we might have his anger removed from us. Because Jesus received wrath, we can now receive mercy. Because Jesus was forsaken, we can now be forgiven. Because Jesus was condemned, we can be accepted. Friends, this is the gospel. 
the pure, unadulterated gospel. No matter what you have done, no matter if you are as bad as a tax collector, if you will but humble yourself before God, if you will ask God to be merciful to you by removing his wrath from you for the sake of Jesus who died for you on the cross, then you will be justified. You will be saved. If you will humble yourself before God, God will exalt you with salvation and eternal life. He will forgive you of all of your sins, and he will remove his wrath from you once and for all. And not only will he remove his anger from you, but he will replace it with his steadfast love. So that it is now his love that hangs over you once and for all and forever. And now, because you know that God's anger has been replaced with God's steadfast love through what Jesus has done for you, guess what? you can now lift up your eyes to heaven. And you can stop beating your chest with your fists, but raise open hands to God in worship and joy for the God who has shown you mercy and steadfast love, all because of what Jesus has done for you. Now, you may not have a lot to boast about, but that's okay. Because you can boast in this. You can boast that Jesus loves you so much that he willingly suffered for you, he willingly died for you, and he rose again from the dead for you, for your salvation. You can boast that Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life for you. And as the Apostle Paul said, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You can boast in the Lord because you mean that much to the Lord Jesus. So what, what's the takeaway for today? Let me wrap this up. I want to encourage us as a church family to do two things. First, stop exalting yourself. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop thinking that you're better than others. Stop looking down on other people. Now, that does not mean that you have to agree with or like what other people think, say, or do. I'm not saying that. You can still disagree with them. Even seek to correct them, but with humility as you speak the truth in love. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we must stop looking down on others. Why? Because Jesus said that those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And in addition to that, when you look down on people, do you realize you cannot love them? Let me say that again. You cannot love people that you look down on. You can despise them. You can demonize them. You can ignore them and write them off, but you cannot love them. Now, you may disagree with their lifestyle, their choices, their view on racial justice, or even their politics, but they are still your neighbors, and you're called to love all of your neighbors, even the ones that you disagree with. And you cannot love your neighbor when you look down on them. So stop looking down on others. Uh, you are no better than others, no matter how much you may disagree with them. Remember, we are all sinners saved by grace. You're a sinner saved by grace. And that person that you disagree with, he or she is also a sinner saved by grace. We're all on the same level playing field. None of us are better than anyone else. Second, humble yourself before God 
and ask him to be merciful to you. Jesus said that everyone who humbles himself will be exalted by God. If you humble yourself before God, if you confess that what you deserve is God's anger for your sins, and if you trust Jesus and his death on the cross to remove God's anger from you, then you will be saved. You will be forgiven, and God's anger will not only be removed, but it will be replaced with his steadfast love that you can never, ever lose. Friends, some of you in this room, or some of you watching today, are feeling so much guilt, so much shame, and so much regret, like this tax collector, you feel like you can't even bring yourself to, to come into the room. You can't even look up to heaven because you know what you've done. You know what you've become. And all you want to do is beat your chest and just cry in regret. And you feel so unworthy. If that describes you today, today I would plead with you, humble yourself and trust Jesus to be your Savior who took the wrath that you deserved and you will instantly and immediately and completely be forgiven. Isn't it great? On that day, it says that the tax collector went home justified. He didn't have to wait a week. He didn't have to wait a month. He didn't have to go do something. He didn't even have to go stop being a tax collector. On that very moment, instantly and immediately and completely, he was forgiven. Today, I want every one of you today to go home knowing that you're instantly, immediately, and completely forgiven when you humble yourself before God and you ask for his mercy for Christ's sake. You don't have to wait for it. It's available for you right now, this very second, the moment you humble yourself and you look up and you ask for mercy. Some of you need to hear this today. And I pray that the mercy of God would chase away your guilt, your shame, and your regret. And that you would draw near to God again. And you would dare to raise your hands in worship and prayer to him again. Because God has mercy on the worst of sinners, including you and including me. And as you have seen this mercy and grace of God given to you in Christ, may that motivate you, may that empower you to show mercy and grace to those that you're tempted to look down on. Amen? So you can love those that you disagree with as someone who has been shaped and transformed by the gospel. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Thank you for this word today that both convicts us of our pride, our sin, and our self-righteousness, and at the very same time gives us such hope that even we and all of our baggage and all of our mess and all of our sin, even we can be forgiven and have your anger removed because Jesus, our Savior, took it from us. And we can now enter into your presence. Look up, rejoice, and worship with a clear conscience and hearts full of joy and gratitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.